The following content is explicit. It's Thursday, June 21st, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I've discovered the most illuminating category of human being going. The type of person who contains the most truthfulness. The Greeks had the oracle at Delphi. They also had Diogenes trudging through town with a lantern. He was trying to find an honest man. But now we have found the honest man, the character in American life more upstanding than Atticus Finch, more forthcoming than a witness who Perry Mason broke on the stand. Yeah, I got a lot of 50s references. This exemplar of honesty, he is known as the retiring Republican senator or congressman. First, you had Jeff Flake. Then you had Bob Corker. Then maybe not Bob Corker, but then Bob Corker was back. The honest Bob Corker, the Bob Corker we liked, the Bob Corker who was definitely retiring. And now it's Ryan Costello. Know him? Well, he's the Pennsylvania congressman who responded in a certain way after Trump tweeted this. Had a great meeting with the House GOP last night at the Capitol. They applauded and laughed loudly when I mentioned my experience with Mark Sanford. I have never been a fan of his. Ryan Costello, Republican, Pennsylvania, member of Congress, subtweets, quote, categorically false. And he was there. He was there in the room. Any number of the other Republicans in the room could have called out the lie, but he was the one with the superpower of not seeking re-election. So Ryan Costello, whose district was wiped off the map like Brigadoon, took a shillelagh to Donald Trump. He was there. You're wrong. Next story. Now, does Trump care is the question. Do you think Trump cares? I don't think Trump cares. I'm not really sure of this man's motivation. I know it's pleasure-seeking behavior in the moment. What's the long-term strategy? I got this idea. I think it may be true that sometime around late 2014, maybe early 2015, a high net worth individual who was bored and unhappy with the state of the U.S. went to Donald Trump and said, listen, Donald, we'd like you to run for president. And then Donald Trump asked, oh, yeah, what's in it for you? And he said, shits and giggles, but also, you know, you could appoint me Commerce Secretary one day. And then Trump asked, okay, what's in it for me? You know, this is fiction because first I had Trump asking something other than what's in it for me. And the man said, for you, brand extension, screaming crowds. Yeah, I like that. But I can't bang as many porn stars when I'm in the public eye. That is a downside. But also, screaming crowds, they get old. Well, I can't help you with the porn stars. That's okay, I got my top man on that. That putz Cohen. Anyway, with the crowds, we have this idea. We have generated, my people and I, we have generated via Mad Libs and a Wu-Tang Clan name generator and an ayahuasca session. Wilbur, you do ayahuasca? Well, for me, it's just standing up quickly. That gives me a head rush. But we've put together a list of, uh, let's call them goals. And if you can get crowds at your rallies as you run for president, or maybe, who knows, if you become president, if you can get crowds to chant a couple of crazy phrases that we wrote down, we will pay you $2 million, $4 million, and $6 million. $6 million. I'm Donald Trump. Oh, you're saying it's not enough? No, I'm saying it's a fortune. I sold my name on a stake for a third that price, and that is my name. Okay, what are the phrases? Well, the first is Nobel. Okay, let's see. Brainstorm here. I could try to get in a fight with Kristen Bell or Le'Veon Bell. I could go in front of a Cleveland Browns crowd, get him chanting Nobel about the Steelers running back. 
look, whatever you do, as long as you could get a crowd to chant Nobel, or I could be mentioned as a possible recipient of the Nobel Prize. Sure, Donald. Sure. Okay, I could do that. I could do that one. Not going to be sure if it's the Nobel Prize in peace, economics, or physics. What's the next one? Well, we'd like you to get the crowd chanting slurs against the 24th most watched cable network in America. Like, fuck Nick at night? No, no. Nick at night's 22. Well, all right, hold on. This could be hard because bravo means yay. How do you get them to slur yay? No, bravo's 21. We're actually talking about CNN. CNN, what, what possible problem would I have with CNN? I've been on Larry King dozens of times. I made that little shrimp, Jeff Zucker, millions. Well, if you could get a crowd chanting some anti-CNN stuff, we'll give you $4 million. I'll try. Okay, if I do that, how do I get the big prize? How do I get $6 million? Well, this one's hard. It's basically just two random words we put together. Are you ready? Hit me, Willby! Space Force. What is that, the new Star Wars movie? It can, it can be whatever you want it to be. Space Force. Space Force. It's going to be hard. It doesn't make much sense. Also, let's figure this out. I will be running against the Iraq war, like I was against the Iraq war from the beginning, but you weren't. It doesn't matter. So I'd say we need to not spend money on wars around the world that we can't pay for. I would, I don't know, maybe I'd even cancel some necessary military exercises based on the price of jet fuel from Guam. Just spitballing here, right? And my crowd would, of course, be They'd think of themselves as fiscally conservative, but I've got to get them chanting for a space force. Well, it's $6 million if you do. It's going to be tough, but I will try. And then, last night, this happened. Space force. Space force. Space force. He did it. It happened. And now I know there is only one mountain for him to climb. But seriously, fuck Nick at night. Can I still get paid for that one? On the show today, I spiel about, well, a fifth grade moving on ceremony. It's very touching. Trust me. But first, whether you're three sheets to the wind using a number two pencil or number one with a bullet, I know you love numbers. I do too. And a man who loves numbers so much that he makes me love numbers more, Walt Hickey, who runs the Numlock newsletter, is here to enumerate his newsletter's benefits. The Subway Restaurant's customer loyalty program is costing each franchise $2,600 a year. On average, one of Subway's 26,000 U.S. locations generates $417,000 in sales a year. Very slim margins for Subway. Hmm. Here's another one. People don't like going bald, but it's still weird that while baldness prevention is a $3.6 billion industry, Most of it is spent on products that do not generate hair regrowth. And the members of the millennial generation will spend on average $202,000 
on rent prior to owning a home, which is higher than about $150,000 that baby boomers spent on rent before becoming homeowners. Interesting facts, no? And the most interesting is the meta fact of where I gathered these facts. It is from a tip sheet, a newsletter, a newsletter called Numlock, which um, I think was one of my favorite Lord of the Rings characters. I know <laughs> it's put together by one of my favorite characters, Walt Hickey. He is, uh, I think he's the first person who I have ever interviewed whose job it is to write an empirically based numbers-driven newsletter. Hello, Walt. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. So I first got to know you and your work when you were writing the Significant Digits column at 538. How long did you do that? I did that for just shy of 850 daily issues. Ah, that's great <laughs> that you have the number. It, in order for a fact, a factoid to become a significant digit, or now I don't know what the equivalent is, a numlock number. I don't know if there's <laughs> uh, a phrase. We're working on the branding, I promise. Right, right. <laughs> so in order for it to gain citation, what drives it? The underlying fact or the number itself? One thing that I really picked up was that it's much more compelling to reach your audience by talking about the interesting numbers and yeah. then talking about the important numbers and not the other way around. I think that the best way to get people actually listening to you and understanding and taking things away from a conversation that they can use later is essentially to like start with what's interesting. Start mm -hmm. with what's cool. Start with what you really just can't like keep to yourself anymore. Yeah. And then you can talk about, well, you think that's cool. Well, here's why this is important. Here's how it resonates for you as a person or the industry as a whole or all that kind of stuff. Give so, me an example of either a sig dig or a numlock number that works that way. Yeah. A citation. Sure. Yeah. So if you look at carbonated water sales in the United States. You have 770 million gallons of that every single year. And the reason that that is so high is it's actually doubled over the course of about since 2004, I believe. And in 2011, it was only just shy of 400 million gallons a year. That is just a hugely consequential shift in the like carbonated water business that you're seeing a company like Amazon, yeah. like having bought Whole Foods, now starting to target LaCroix. Yeah. And essentially they're seeing, oh, here's not only a way that we can bust into this market, here's a way that we can muscle out the fifth largest beverage distributor in North America yeah. when it comes to this really hot market. Yeah. And so you can both get a sense of here's why tech is trying to bolster in on this brick and mortar business. Here's why you're seeing so many bubbles everywhere. Bubbles. <laughs> exactly. Seltzer. So I think it's really kind of fun to just kind of talk about these large magnitudes and, and these uh, like different ways that you can bust in on a story that is a little bit new. Yeah. Now, do you ever do the thing that I've talked about on the show where you compare uh, liquids to the size of Olympic swimming pools or water tankers or uh, land areas to the size of Belgium? Well, you is know, that useful? That is. And I'll tell you why. Um, one of my favorite interviews that I did while I was at 538 was with Randall Monroe. He's mm -hmm. the guy behind XKCD. He wrote this terrific book, What If? And, and so did I, by the way. Like, different <laughs> kind of book. He, um, he told me essentially that one thing that he really thinks about whenever he talks about numbers is that if he added a zero to it, would that change what the reader thinks? Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, and yeah. so like if I say it was um, like 200,000 gallons of concrete and if I change that to 2 million, does your mental picture change? If it didn't, I got to figure out a way to ground that number. I got to figure out a way to talk about that. And, and I've really carried that with me since. And, yeah. and I think that that really kind of like, yes, you can say the land area of Belgium or the quantity of Olympic swimming pool, but like the context, that's really what sings when it comes to talking about numbers. Right. I love, I love your passion for it. These are six line items. These aren't fleshing it out yeah. and making people care about a character. But do you ever set the challenge of this is important, this is important for people to know, and I'm going to find the way in via a number? Do you ever work that way? I think that the fun part of this project is that the 
opening idea of it was essentially that in the eighth paragraph of every news story that you're going to see, you're going to find a number. And it's there just because essentially that person interviewed three sources. Their editor was like, all right, get a number to back up number two. And then they put that in paragraph eight. And data journalism just works in the other direction. You start with, I found a weird thing. I'm going to talk to three people to explain how that happened. Listen, I I like baseball as much as the next guy, but I don't think that talking about advanced baseball statistics is necessarily how you can recruit new people to love this thing. That's right. I wrote a story last year with the some colleagues, Ella Cousy and um, Rachel Doddle and Gus Wozniak about like the Bachelorette. And we just covered the Bachelorette as assiduously as one would when it comes to the statistics in, in an MLB game and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And that was a great way to reach new readers that we had never reached before. What's the secret sauce to making surviving rose ceremonies? You have got to get that first impression rose. If you do not get the first impression rose specifically on the Bachelorette, those That's women know what huge. they want right out of the gate. It's like a famous man once said, you ever hear that we form our impressions within five seconds? Feel, touch and feel. I believe it, yeah. 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 And, and I mean, like, Listen, I love Becca, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. (laughs) I assume that is a character on The Bachelorette. Um, Is there any number that sheds any light on something to do with the North Korean situation that you can think of? Sure. So essentially, Bloomberg does this really wonderful thing where they talked about, we have no idea the size of the North Korean economy. No. To give you a great perspective on this, the CIA says that the size of the North Korean economy is $40 billion. That's their GDP. Yeah. Plus or minus ten billion dollars. Yeah, that's the like that's the range that you're talking about. Yeah, the idea is that that's the level a of a quarter uns- of the GDP. Yeah. so it, that's there's the a lot of ways of to go with that. Yeah. Right, so, right. So that just gives you a sense of here's how little we know about this entity. Here's right. how like these folks have spent so long as a hermit kingdom, so long divorced essentially from the reality of, of global affairs, not even Western global affairs, just global affairs in general. The the entity that we are dealing with is so alien to us that we don't even know like how much food they make and the the that we have. The GDP for this country is equivalent, I don't know, if it's plus 10 billion of the value of the NFL. It's enormous. The NFL team, all the NFL, but the NFL teams are 32 goddamn teams <laughs> yeah. as opposed to a country of, you know, millions of people, tens of millions. And then when you can ground that in this, and the, the estimates for essentially, like the UN says that the GDP per capita is I think somewhere in the ballpark about $600. Yeah. And then other estimates like from uh, the South Korean banks and whatnot put that north of like $1,600. And that like, if you think about, that's triple, like that's yeah. a, a demonstrable difference in living styles. There's so much going on here that we just don't really know right. that this place has been so remotely alien from the United States and just the world in general that I think that it underlines how little we actually know about who we're dealing with. I, I'm sure that uh, all of your children you love, all of these little tidbits are children and it's mm-hmm. hard to choose, but you have ones that stick with you or that you've repeated many times to gasps and awe. <laughs> Yeah, there's a few that come up. Uh, I like Pew a lot because Pew asked the same questions repeatedly yeah. and asked how they change and whatnot. And they had a re- recent report on spaceflight that asked, do you want to go to space? And <laughs> the answer was about 60% said no, and they were split on three different reasons. One was it was cost. They was too pricey to go to space. One is health. Like they don't, they, they don't think they got it in them. They're either too old or too uh, not healthy enough to go to space. Yeah. Uh, each of those was 28%. The it's other 20 like can't get their vitamins and supplements up Exactly. There. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like they, they don't the dash buttons don't work up mm-hmm. there. And so the third group was just like, nope, too spooky for me. Like, <laughs> yep, the It's too scary. Factor. I can't do it. Uh, 28% was just like, nah, going to space, not for me. Don't want to. <laughs> uh, you know what? Know thyself. And exactly. I give them compliments. I recognize it. I mean, like, listen, you are just hurling yourself into the into a vacuum. I, oh, like, so it's Pew didn't even say in a capsule or uh, via NASA. <laughs> no, no. Into space. Even in a capsule. <laughs> in a, that's made by the lowest bidder, my friend. <laughs> like, I think that um, I think that if Pew has been asking that question for years, pre-1962, it, the numbers would be much lower. <laughs> 
pre-Sputnik, pre-Alan yeah. Shepard. No, I don't think. Before we demonstrated the capacity to go into space, it would be much, much lower. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, generally speaking, I think that, like, people care about very few things. People care about what they watch. Um, people spend about two hours a day watching television. I think it's worthwhile covering culture with the, the dignity that two hours a day from the American populace deserves. People spend a lot of day working. They like life hacks. They like understanding how to work better and more efficiently. Uh-huh. People spend. What's a good one? Can you remember one? So Nathan Yao from Flowing Data looked at essentially the reports that the U.S. government takes on essentially how people spend their time. Yes. And he looked at folks who work from home and he looked at folks who commute to the office. And the median remote worker saved about 50 minutes per workday by not commuting and on time saved grooming. The yeah. idea is that essentially oh, – the grooming time. Yeah. So the Critifying medi- oneself. The median commuter spent 35 minutes traveling. The median work-at-home person spent zero. The median commuter spent 45 minutes on personal care, which is showering and looking good yes. in the morning and that kind of stuff. The median home worker spent 30 minutes. Yeah. So, so the idea is that you can save 15 minutes by looking like a schlub working at home and save – uh, again, 35 minutes by not having to commute to your workplace. If we go in this direction, Gillette will crater, but the sweatpants industry will spike. Yeah, so this should be a big bet against razor blades yeah. and cologne and deodorant yeah. and basically Procter and Gamble's entire right. business. And then just really doubling down on Lululemon. Lululemon or just smocks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does it bother you ever where certain articles or arguments or pieces of the culture are passed around and gain purchase and people point to them and say this is a really good argument and when you, through your lens, look at them, there are just no numbers. They seem to be unempirical. I, re- I could recall something like that happened recently to me with this uh, guy who wrote an article on Medium and it was just how much better <laughs> his experience uh, in in Europe was than the United States. You know, in Europe, the tra- I come here on a nice train. I watch. Uh, <laughs> I eat better food. I watch a better television show. And it's like, but yeah. you have absolutely no numbers backing this up. And yeah. I believe you with the train, by the way. But you have no numbers. <laughs> it is definitely some fireproofing from hot takes. I'll give you that. It, like, it's a it's a different way of looking at the news. And I think that there are stories where I am enraptured by them, and then I got to the end of it, and I'd be like, well, wait, I can't put this in my newsletter because they didn't mention anything, and that like. That makes me a little bit, like, disappointed to an extent. Like, it's a choice to not, um, like, get that, go that extra mile and find that extra stuff. And I think that part of that's just my training as a data guy in general yeah. that, like, you got to find a way to back this up. you got to find, a, like, if you're going to make an argument that's good, um, like, math and writing are very linked in the sense that they're all basically argument-based, whether it's a proof or whether it's a, like, uh, a persuasive case. I think that they are very fundamentally linked. And I think that— Well, they should be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And generally, I'm, like— Yeah, I'll read things and I'm just like, well, damn, I wish that that had a cool uh, number in it because I'd love to write about it sometime. Walt Hickey (laughs) is the everything, the impresario, the author, the CEO and founder of the Numlock newsletter. You may wish to subscribe. Thank you so much, Walt. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. If you do want to subscribe, go to www.numlock.news. It'll get you steady. All right. And now the spiel, you know, now is the golden age for elementary school graduation songs between Demi Lovato's This Is Me and Fun's We Are Young and Wouldn't Change a Thing by Joe Jonas and Demi Lovato, really all of the Demi Lovato oeuvre. And you've got the American author's Best Day of My Life song. And you've got just about everything the dragons have ever imagined from It's Time to On Top of the World.
This, of course, is Imagine Dragons. I'm doing, I'm doing that right now, as they've instructed me to. And as we listen to this song, let me take you back. When I was a kid, graduating or moving on from the fifth grade, which my son did today, you know, back then, the top songs did not hint of horizons or possibilities or inspirations. The songs of today are so much peppier in music and lyric that it even makes my scratchy sweater reverie seem benign. But it really was more of a bummer back in 1983. In 1983, we had, as the top songs of that year, Every Breath You Take, written from the stalker's perspective, Billie Jean, about teen pregnancy, or at least absentee fatherism. And then you also had in the top 20 a few songs. Those were the top two songs, one and two. And then also in the top 20, you had a few songs that would make for scary New York Post headlines, like uh, Maneater, Hungry Like the Wolf, or in a similar serial killer-esque vein, Maniac, Never Gonna Let You Go. And then there's the wildly inappropriate for fifth grade moving on ceremony trio of Come on, Eileen, beat it down under. Seriously, I just named nine of the top 20 songs of the year I graduated fifth grade, and I did not even mention Do You Really Want to Hurt Me. If we played any of those songs, the graduating class of 1983 would not be primed to take on the challenges of a bright future. It would need twice-a-week therapy and serotonin reuptake inhibitors that wouldn't be on the market for five years. Now, I noticed that all the bummer songs of 1983 are no more musically sophisticated than the current tunes. In fact, the current songs have better production techniques and might actually be a bit more complex on a musical level. But you know what the old songs did? They did tell a story. Almost all of those songs, you at least get a sense of who the narrator is. And lyrically, an occasional piece of poetry. Poor old Johnny Ray sounded sad upon the radio, but he moved a million hearts in mono like that book by Nabokov. Now, the songs are just saying, if I could crystallize their sentiments, something like, whoa, yeah, we are here. Here is now. Us is all. This is me. This is me. It's a great tune that means almost nothing. I don't think songs like this are meant as much more than accompaniment either jogging or throwing some CrossFit tire around or accompanying a slideshow you put together on your MacBook Plus or taking that next step into a bright tomorrow, all the while knowing that you have a foundation built on nurturing, respect, and kindness. So my favorite graduation song, which was played today, it's the best one, it's the oldest one, it's Pomp and Circumstance. This song could be a cliche because there's never a graduation or a moving on ceremony without it, but it works. And I think it works not just because of the Pavlovian association with the ceremony. Also in the category of songs that are associated with something but also really do work are John Williams' Olympics themes, Old Lang Syne, and O Canada. Songs not in this category, songs that really just benefit from the association are Almost Every Christmas Carol and the Star Spangled Banner. The lyrics to Pomp and Circumstance, retrofitted into the Edgar Elgar composition, have nothing to do with graduation. Land of hope and glory, mother of the free, how shall we extol thee who are born of thee? Just like pro-England. And the phrase Pomp and Circumstance also has nothing to do with the lyrics I just read or graduation at all. It's a weird, weird phrase. You got your pomp. It's a pretty florid word. And then you got your circumstance, which just means a thing, a thing that happens. It's kind of a 
odd pairing. You start off big and then you go to couldn't be more anodyne. Ostentation and situation. Frippery and the conditions of the time. But it really comes from Shakespeare. The spirit-stirring drum, the ear-piercing fife, the royal banner, and all quality, pride, pomp, and circumstance of glorious war. Othello, Act 3, Scene 3. Even in context, though, it doesn't make sense to name anything pomp and circumstance, since the phrase is pride, pomp, and circumstance of glorious war. Circumstance. Circumstance of what? Of war. It would be like offering the quote, let loose the dogs. The dogs of what? Again, it's war. It's always war. But I guess if it were war, we wouldn't be playing it at a graduation. Or maybe we would. All I know is that I am glad that we had it today as my son and his classmates moved on. But I'm weird like that. You might differ. This is me. This is me. That's it for today's show. Pierre Bienname leaves the gist not as a producer, but as a guy trying to hop a flight to Denver this weekend while sneaking on some mojito mix. Godspeed, Pierre. We gave you the roots. Only an unobservant TSA agent can give you wings. Mary Wilson, just senior producer, really is moving on. Tomorrow is her last day here. I do not know what songs we're going to use to play under whatever nice things I say about her. The irony will be she's producing the segment, so she kind of gets to pick the music. We will see if she goes with yakety sax. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and as such, he's moved a million hearts in Google Play. The gist, today is not an ending. It is a beginning, except for Coco the Gorilla. That does not apply for Coco. Sorry about that, Coco. Oomperu, depperu, duperu. And thanks for listening.